0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast. My name is Avid Kahl and I talk about bootstrapping, entrepreneurship and building in public. First, a word from our sponsor. MicroAcquire is the number one startup acquisition marketplace and it is simply the most efficient way to sell a startup when you're ready to make your next move. Typically, as a first-time founder, you really have no idea what you're getting yourself into when you go through your very first acquisition. It's usually your first because who sells their business, right? MycoAcquire wants to change that pain and empower founders when they're speaking with buyers and then really help streamline this whole process of getting acquired for the maximum price without any of the headaches that you will feel if you go at it alone. To date, MicroAcquire has helped hundreds of startups successfully get acquired, and they have facilitated hundreds of millions in close deal volume. So if you're thinking about selling your startup, you will want to check out MicroAcquire. Go to microacquire.com to learn more. And now, let's get started. Earlier this week, I was talking to Damon Chen who built testimonial.to to to $400,000 in ARR. And at one point he mentioned that he isn't looking into selling his business just yet, maybe even never. And that really got me thinking while we all want to build a sellable business, is there such a thing as selling too early? And how can we determine when that phase ends and when it's time to look into getting acquired? Should we even do that ever? So let's look into why we might want to hold on to our business, even when acquirers come knocking. And by the way, if you're just starting out on your founder journey and you think that this would be a nice champagne problem to have, don't underestimate having these things figured out in advance. It's good to think about it now because you will have a much calmer business if you know your step goals along the way because they will allow you to focus on the right things at the right times. And it's certainly better to know what MRR levels or ARR levels you should start applying to acquisition offers, or what kind of structures to set up when you incorporate your business so that you can later sell it for the most post-tax cash. This stuff is good to know as early as possible. And for most founders, the biggest decider not to sell a business just yet is that they wouldn't be able to get enough money for it. The business is too small or margins are too low or costs may be way too high to make an acquisition interesting for anyone. Most potential buyers will be out for a financial acquisition and that's when they want to buy a business that makes money, that will keep making money and they can run it with their own team much more efficiently to make even more money in the future. They will look at your profitability. And how much cash is left each month for the business owners. And the significant metric here is called EBITDA, which is short for earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. It's less complicated than it sounds. It's all about how much money you can take from your business after you pay for everything and everyone. Discretionary founder earnings. That's a similar name for that. That number will heavily determine how profitable your business is, or how profitable it is perceived as, and that in turn will influence the multiple of revenue that you'll be able to sell it for. If you want to read up on this whole process, and I think you should do that early in your journey, check out the book, The Art of Selling a Business by John Warlow. You can figure this number out for yourself and for your business. And while it's always a guess. It'll show you what order of magnitude you can expect. Maybe your business is worth a few thousand dollars or maybe a million or two, if you're lucky, and that's where our unique perspective matters the most. We all build businesses to build wealth of some sort, monetary wealth, most commonly, or building social capital with the people we care about and who we want to care about us, but we all want to end up better than where we started. And a business can make a life-changing difference here. and In a way, that sets a lot of expectations for founders. If you come from a technical background and you made several thousands of dollars in employment income every month, selling your business for 5000 bucks, that doesn't make much of a difference. You probably want a more sizable windfall. So where is that dream threshold for you? I always found the term, fuck you money. Hilarious, because in these three words, there's a lot of working-class anger and a lot of compressed disdain for being told what to do. Most people never build wealth like that. Millions of dollars, well-invested, completely removing the need to ever work again for anyone ever. Even many founders who sell their businesses don't really get there. They sell for mid-six figures or less. And that still makes a meaningful dent in their lives, and they can now afford the down payment for a home something that millennials and up are struggling with all over the place life becomes a lot less stressful when you have a rainy day fund but it's not completely de-stressed and I think these smaller exits are fuck you please kind of money you have a lot of my agency but you still might want to find someone to work for or even better ask for funding for your next big venture and honestly I think This is actually a very reasonable thing to do because we severely overemphasize the big exit, the gigantic acquisition. When you're building a business, you might not have reached this potential of exiting your company for your dream threshold just yet, but that's actually not a problem because you have an asset that's under your control. You own it. And there are two ways to progress from that point. Either you just keep growing the business to become more valuable or sell it early to use the funds to start a bigger, more ambitious venture. It's the stair-stepping approach that has been popularized by indie hacker community legend, Rob Walling, one step at a time. And what I'm trying to say here is that people often hold on to their businesses because they believe that this has to be the big one. And while that could be true, it's a pretty risky assumption. You might be overextending yourself on your only bet while selling it at this point could provide you with the financial platform to build a much bigger thing on or start many more diversified projects. And my favorite example here is Peter Levels, Levels.io on Twitter, the founder behind Nomadlist and Hoodmaps and Avatar AI and Interior AI and Remote OK and Rebase.co. Do you see a pattern? Peter has a wide range of projects that he's building in parallel. And according to him, only four out of his 70 plus projects made money or grew. A lot of experimentation is required to get this kind of result. And if you hold on to just one project forever, you won't be able to experiment like that, but not all motivation to keep your business is driven by those internal reasons. Your business might just not look very sellable if you have high expenses and low margins. The revenue that you bring in doesn't really matter this much. If you make around $50,000 in monthly recurring revenue, but you have $48,000 in fixed expenses, your high MRR business suddenly looks like a very risky acquisition target. This will impact these discretionary earnings to the point where they're almost non-existent. And the only way one could get acquired in such a scenario is through a strategic acquisition where your buyer doesn't buy you for your transactions and the money you make, but for something else entirely. Access to your customers, or being able to use a particular patent that you might hold, or other intellectual property, or even just benefiting from your brand recognition in the space. Strategic acquisitions are much less straightforward because of these intangible and unquantifiable asset values. How much is a brand worth can really be expressed in a multiple, like an MRR-based calculation would do it. It's not just about server costs or how much you pay your employees either. Many founders don't sell because if they sold, they could only cover their extremely high living expenses for just a few months. That's what Damon actually talked to me about in our conversation earlier this week. He lives in the Bay Area, and that's a notoriously high cost of living location, where even the smallest homes already cost millions of dollars And engineers bring home $200,000 or more in yearly salary. Selling an indie business to be able to live in such a place that requires a lot of business value to net you a high enough selling price. And if you live in the U.S., you'll also have to deal with extremely high healthcare and insurance costs. And since this is usually entangled with employment, people just tend to keep their companies as a form of personal protection. I talked to Michelle Hansen a while ago, and she told me just how much she and her family struggled with paying for healthcare and childcare as indie founders. That was complicated. And it's unsurprising that once you've found a way to pay for these things reliably, having a company, you might not want to sell it. The truth is, once you sell, you'll only get a fraction of what you sell your business for anyway, depending on how you hand over your business. Two common ways here are selling the whole company in a share deal or just a product in an asset deal. You'll be liable for a lot of taxes. You have income tax and capital gains tax and business tax and many others, depending on where you live. I sold the business through an asset deal in Germany. Our tax rate was well north of 40%. That's a lot of money to give to your government. It's also why many founders keep their businesses and just take dividends. It's usually easier to offset smaller numbers in your tax dealings than million dollar windfalls. And obviously this depends on your country of tax residence and what else you got going on, but getting the company structure right from the beginning. So you can sell it for a tax minimal amount can be a pretty big difference in how much money you walk away with and That amount of money is what a smart founder looks at, not just the sale price. If your dream threshold is $2 million and you sell your business for $3 million, but you pay 50% tax, you're still not there. So look at the post-tax money. And maybe it's not just about you and the money you make. Maybe, and I'm grateful for all those founders out there who think this way, maybe it's about you and the people working for you. If you make a lot of money, You might just want to share that wealth with those who helped make it happen. And I've seen several founders being generous with their employees beyond fulfilling the obvious shareholder obligations. Josh Pickford of BareMetrics distributed $300,000 of his $4 million acquisition among his employees. And Mark McCubbin handed over life-changing cash to many of his employees. And that's really cool. And for that to be possible. You need enough money, obviously, and since anything you give to employees will be taxed heavily too, this will impact your dream threshold significantly. But it's a very kind thing to do. So it's a good reason to wait with selling your business for. Finally, let's take a look at the other side of an acquisition. I've talked to countless founders who had an offer, looked at the buyer, and then decided to walk away. Sometimes deals just don't work. Your acquirer might want you to stay on board for years when you want to get out. This kind of earnout is often fraught with all sorts of issues, like not being able to reach arbitrarily high goals that your buyer sets or being robbed of all agency or having to do things you don't like. Once you've been responsible for all decisions in your business, the prospect of being told what to do doesn't appeal as much as it might have used to. And the same goes for their ideas of how your employees will be transitioned. Some acquirers want to bring in their own team supplanting yours. And if an ideal sale for you means them taking over your employees, that's a reason not to strike a deal. And there we have it, really. There are many, many reasons on all different levels, not to sell your business, even when there's acquisition interest out there. It's likely the most important financial deal of your life up until now, at least. And it's a good thing to focus on due diligence before you enter into these stressful negotiations. It's good to know what you might want from such a deal long before someone comes knocking on your door. And that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at avidk, A-R-V-I-D-K-A-H-L, and you'll find my book, Zero to Sold, The Embedded Entrepreneur. My Twitter course Find you following there as well. If you want to support me and the Bootstrap Founder Podcast, please leave a rating and a review by going to ratethispodcast.com slash founder. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.